Thank you, Ms. Crevier. Um, I want you to know that I did have a very good conversation with Ms. Igorin yesterday, and I emphasized to her that it was extremely important that we start fixing the situation that we're in, and that it is absolutely unacceptable in terms of the quality of health care that we are providing to our tribal members. Uh, we've also had an opportunity to visit with the head of the Indian Health Services, and we have sent that message very loud and clear. I want to thank all of the witnesses for your testimony. It's very moving. Um, very important to have all of you here today. Um, I, I, um, I'm going to start recognizing the uh, members for their questions, <clears throat> and I'm going to start with me. I think one of the things that's interesting about the bills that are before us is that there is a common theme, although they're very disparate in terms of the specific issues that they're addressing. And the common theme for me is I've listened to the testimony and read through the information in preparation for today is that they're about fixing past mistakes. They are about righting past wrongs. They're about allowing for healing and they're about honoring those who have suffered. But it's also recognizing the United States responsibilities, obligations, and in some cases, culpability. These bills also seem to expose the failure of a government that can take literally decades to correct these types of things. And I'm going to say it again, we must do better for our tribal members, for our citizens, and for our country. And I know that this committee and the committee members are committed to that. The members uh, in the House of Representatives that I have talked to are committed to fixing these things and addressing these things and not just with these six bills, but with other issues that need to be addressed as well. I'm going to begin my questioning with uh, uh, Victoria Kitchen. Um, in your testimony, you note that the legislation, it, that the legislation at issue enjoys bipartisan co-sponsors and support for the legislation from the Department of Interior. Are you aware of anyone or any particular agency that may oppose this legislation? Thank you for the question. No, the Winnebago tribe took great effort to ensure that all stakeholders um, from the local county, from the local um, representatives, uh, from the fishers and the hunters, and we wanted to ensure that we covered all those that had an interest or um, care for that land, and we have met no opposition, and in fact, we're very thankful for the Army Corps working with the DNR to um, anticipate this change, and that they, um, they have language in their licensing that this, um, that this land would be returned. Well, thank you, and I, that was going to be my next question, is what the, the position the Corps of Engineers has taken, but I believe that you just answered that, that they are in support of this legislation as well. Wonderful. In your testimony, you stated that the Winnebago tribe would not make many changes to the current conservation measures in place for these lands, and that the Winnebago Wildlife and Parks Department would have jurisdiction similar to what is, uh, what is exercised on other Winnebago lands. Could you please further expand on what these lands would be used for and the recreational and conservation activities that your tribe will be focusing on? Certainly, the tribe has a robust wildlife and parks department that oversees 10,000 acres and they create zones. So they'll create a zone for the Iowa land and will administer it in the same way that um, we do on the Nebraska side and they will continue to have um, hunting, fishing, and, and recreation there, as well as, um, I, I guess in our opinion, we're gonna do a better job than the Iowa DNR did in taking care of this land, and I just wanna assure you that um, the indigenous knowledge and the care take, 
speaking of the land is something that is um, within us and um, a part of us. Well, I, I have every expectation that that is true. And I bet that it's beautiful. I bet those lands are very beautiful. So this is a, this is a, a good opportunity, again, to, uh, fix a, to fix a past wrong. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here today. Mr. Lang Langley, I would like to turn to you. Would you please further elaborate on your written testimony about the possible title issues that were mentioned? In other words, how many other surveys and title errors have been found by tribal staff and have any of those been resolved? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I am not aware of any that have been found, but it's very likely that there will be. Uh, most of the lands are timber, which all the resulting valleys and canyons, all of that, um, make it likely that there will be another error. Our original reservation was 69,000 acres, so um, it is very likely that there are others that we okay. just aren't aware of. And is Grand Ron aware of any specific land claims that will be sought at this time if the legislation is enacted? No, we are not. Okay. Is the state of Oregon supportive of, the, of this legislation, and do you have either written or stated support from the state in that regard? Thank you. And yes, it is. It's one of those, uh, those things where both Democrats and Republicans agree on this. We're very proud of that. And I think it's the simplicity of this, uh, this issue, I think, speaks to it. Okay. Well, I grew up on a ranch, and I understand what all of you say when you talk about the importance of the land in terms of uh, your, not only your past, but your future and your identity. So again, I appreciate the, the representatives and the various Congress members who are willing to take up these issues and address them for you. And with that, I am going to... Um, um, actually, I'll ask another question, and this to Mr. Lane. Uh, you mentioned in your testimony that Oregon is supportive of the legislation and that both your tribe and the state have taken first steps to renegotiate the consent decree. Can you further explain how these discussions or negotiations are taking place and what you think the path forward is? Uh, thank you for this question. Um, we started two years ago negotiating with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. And uh, it's been an ongoing uh, conversation Awkward at first, but um, slowly making progress. And we have reached common ground. And even to the point where uh, ODF and W, uh, in our agreement, we, we pledge to each other to help uh, work together to enhance the wildlife situation in Oregon. We're faced with so many different uh, things, from climate change to uh, um, low runs in, in fish and <coughs> salmon and steelhead. And some of them are even international that will have to be handled by this body because of the acidification of the Pacific. And, uh, but anyway, we, uh, we have uh, an agreement now uh, in principle, and it's, it will be uh, on the ODF&W docket for uh, the 16th of June for approval between the tribe and the state. Wonderful. Well, thank you, and that's good to hear. Uh, the chair will now recognize the ranking member for five minutes for questions. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you for the testimony. Um, I, I find that so often in this subcommittee, in this room, we hear testimony that um, is so powerful in its sadness and in the grief that have been suffered for generations with regards to those injustices 
And it was powerful to hear your testimony, Chairwoman, about the manner in which reading the treaties and the treaties and the fact that they were broken so often brings its own pain uh, to that of um, you know others who describe describing the 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 manner in which the lands that you've you used you utilized and then they got shrunken and shrunken and shrunken to the point where you no longer were even recognized or that you had there were three hundred salmon available for an entire tribe uh, visualizes in many ways kind of the the tears and the pain of of the injustices that I think we all acknowledge uh, that have, have occurred and the slowness of our response because that response is a congressional response uh, that is required because uh, without it, uh, best practices don't quite work, right? Uh, and I'm also very pleased that in the recent bipartisan budget, um, um, budget default agreements that were made that we did save uh, $1.3 billion for, uh, that was need to go to the Indian Health Service because it's resources that are needed uh, to assist with that improvement of the act. And I'll start with you, Ms. Um, uh, Crevier. Can you uh, describe the challenges that the uh, urban Indian organizations face uh, communicating uh, with the rest of IHHS. You did a beautiful job of describing uh, what happened during the COVID rollout and how the life expectancies have gone down and you are serving 70% of the population. Can you add some additional um, uh, information to, uh, to that testimony? Sure. Um, so UIOs are essentially, they were created by Congress to ensure that the trust obligation met in urban settings. And so by you can see by the um, terrible statistics we have that that is not working well. But what happens in practice, well, what happens with IHS, which is really well done, is when there's a policy that will impact us, they will, ta they will set a, initiate a confer with us and let us know, hey, this is how this policy might impact you. What how, what can we, you know, how can we make sure that the policy is is uh, done the, in in the good way that you know that would um, protect our people? And unfortunately, that doesn't happen at HHS or any of those agencies. And so, and and we've had we've heard like from SAMHSA, for instance, they would like a confer policy. They would like to talk to us more to understand, hey, how do we make sure that our policies are are fully in line with the reality of where we are? Um, but that currently isn't happening. So when we do submit. Um, comments I've heard in the past that folks can just put them to the side they don't they don't need to read them and so unfortunately that's where um, this all you know continues to not they don't do anything so thank you and I think the other theme is the manner in which the tribes have really coordinated it's it's a lot of collaboration it's communication whether it's oh, with the Lakotas around uh, the um, the site uh, that will be taken uh, into restricted fee status, or with the, the states. Uh, Vice Chairman Lane, uh, your testimony highlighted the fishing wars. Uh, you know, we don't have fish in New Mexico uh, that can be utilized for that, but where you're at, that's really a big deal. Can you describe the work with uh, the state and the Oregon Department of Fish about how that evolved and why that is kind of part of the linchpin to what, we're, what the legislation is 
uh, going to do today if, if we pass it out and move it through the house? Excuse me. Um, uh, the fish runs on the coast have been declining over the years and for a lot of different reasons. And our tribe has uh, unilaterally even uh, inserted logs. Uh, we used to take them out all the time. It was a policy when timber was a log to take them out. But uh, scientists finally realized that the, the smolt need them to keep cool and to get upstream mm -hmm. and to survive. So we've uh, enacted small measures to help with those things. There are some larger ones that have to happen with the state. And in developing this relationship, we really didn't have much of a relationship at all with the state. Anytime we tried to um, uh, improve the hunting and fishing agreement, the consent decree that we're talking about getting, uh, doing away with, we were met with solid no's. We, we couldn't uh, manage in any way. That's all changed now. And uh, under this new agreement, we hope to uh, be doing things that can help the environment help uh, all, of the, all of the animals that can't speak for themselves. We, we humans uh, use these animals and uh, uh, we need to respect them more and to, to take up for them. But our hope is in development of more fisheries programs and natural resource programs that we can better improve it for the state and for the tribe. Thank, thank you so very much for also pointing out that this collaboration and communication needs to be with all living things. So I appreciate that and I yield back. The chair now recognizes Mr. LaMalfa for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chairman. <clears throat> I'd like to direct this to uh, Vice Chairman Lane of the Solettes. Um, the, uh, well, first of all, I didn't need to be here for the first panel, multiple committee hearings, but uh, um, was um, is, is the BIA um, being uh, supportive in your effort to uh, renegotiate this consent with the um, with the agreements on on hunting, fishing, trapping, etc.? Uh, are, are you getting good help from the BIA? Yes, they testified so this morning already. Yes. Okay. Good. Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's shift over to. Uh, uh, Chairwoman Kishian, did I say that correctly? Okay, I'm sorry. All right. Um, now, your, your legislation you're working on, uh, 1240. Um, it's uh, you've been you've been working at this for a while, right? It's been in several Congresses trying to get this moving. What's what's the background that it's uh, taken this long or multiple bills to do it? Is what what do you see needs to be helped to get a green light on this? Well, um, thank you for um, being aware of our, our former attempts. Um, the first bill was introduced by Steve, Congressman Steve King, and, um, and that, that didn't advance. And so then we worked with our Congressman Fortenberry, and unfortunately that one didn't advance as well. And so it's been at no fault of the tribe or, or any opposition that this, this bill hasn't advanced. It's just been um, some of the folks that just weren't available to um, assist us any further. And so we're very thankful for Randy Feenstra and stepping up and um, really building relationships with the tribe, and especially Louis LaRose on, and coming to this point. Okay. Uh, have you had to change the bill in any way from the previous versions, or is it pretty much... Uh, no, it's, it's substantially the same. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, for, uh, let's see. Um, oh, President uh, Lehigh. Uh, 
from your your um, your assertion that uh, should your legislation become law, that uh, the first priority would be for uh, um, services for for members on housing. Uh, and all the amenities that go with that, um, which which is which is good. Basic running water, electricity. We want that to happen for you. Um, does the does the tribe have other longer long term plans on further economic developments on these lands that will help the lands as well as help the tribe? What, what are you looking at longer term, sir? Thank you for the question. Um, we haven't really looked that far yet because the treaty has not been ratified, you know. But the 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 main the main source of it was for for our tribal members to actually get housings and all the other essentials to power and everything, you know. But yeah, we have not looked that far yet. But I can't really um, speak for our tribal council. But we're gonna we'll sit down as soon if this is ratified, you know. We'll, we'll sit down and look look at economic development okay well first things first uh, stable housing and and the amenities that go with that are extremely important so i, I certainly understand that um are you do you have any um, issues or any concerns with neighboring tribes in navajo the hopi or uh in, in issues that uh, with shared land sacred sites is that is that all going pretty smoothly with navajo nation we did receive a support letter so there is support and I have met with um, Hopi Nation tribal leadership and their support of it as well. And you feel it's, it's going smoothly then? Yes. Okay, that's, that's good, really good. All right. Um, all right, I think with that, Madam Chair, I have uh, no further, further questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lamalfa. The chair now recognizes Mr. Grijalva for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chair. And I, I just want to uh, associate with some of your comments and, and the ranking member's comments where you said that, you know, the subcommittee does have a history and a tradition. Um, and we're not just talking about bipartisanship, but to look at, at these issues because they carry a great deal of responsibility. You know, we're the point of the trust responsibility with, with Indian country that, that I think we all respect. And it's on this subcommittee, it's been my experience on being in resources all this time that it's, uh, we, usually don't get together to point fingers at each other. We save that for other subcommittees and full committee. And then, then, we re then we'll, we'll, enjoy those, we'll enjoy those moments, but this is kind of a, you know, different kind of place. And so I appreciate those comments that you made. It's, uh, uh, the legislation that I'm proposing, and, and let me ask uh, Ms. Krivinei, did I say it right? Uh, we heard some of the comments from the Assistant Secretary at HHS talking about silos and how they're trying to integrate that, best practices, et cetera. And, and I think the Chair mentioned, you know, sometimes this is about correcting and avoiding, correcting history and avoiding future problems. And, and, and the fact that HHS doesn't have a department-wide not formalized government-to-government -government consultation, but a conf conferring with uh, 
Indian health organizations, IOI, uh, those urban centers of which 70% of the population of indigenous people live, work, and, and survive in those urban centers. I include the Indian Center in Tucson, I include, etc. Can you speak to the importance of urban Indian organizations and, and how they often experience parity issues with the IH, with the Indian health system and HHS as a whole, you know? Uh, yes, I can. Thank you for that. Um, so I look at the UIOs as um, trust healthcare deliverers. That's what they are. Um, and so one one of the ways of, of lack of parity is that you know we're not allowed into the rooms. We're not invited to the meetings. We don't know when they are. So these basic things of how do we improve the healthcare of all Native people is missing part of you know we're not even allowed in those rooms. So. How can HHS actually fulfill its trust obligation of healthcare when it can't even include us in that conversation? And it's very important. These UIOs were, um, were are in relocation areas where the government moved us. They moved us off of reservation into urban areas with the intent to kill the Indian saver man. And then Congress said, okay, that's a bad idea. Let's not do that. So now there's healthcare facilities there. And that needs to be, that's part of correcting the past bad behavior. And so until we're included in those rooms, it's going to be very hard for HHS to meet its obligation and, and make us uh, healthier people. We had another hearing of Zuni, from the Zuni Pueblos, uh, one of vice chair, I think, of, of the community. Uh, said something that I, I've heard it before, but when he said it, it may not lie. He said, you know, we want, of course we want to be at the table because right now we're just the menu. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was pretty specific. So, well, and so I asked the secretary, let me ask you the same thing. If HHS is not conferring with UIOs across the department, how can we be sure that the ur urban Indians are accounted for when we do healthcare policies, when we deal with disparity, when we deal with resource allocation and other initiatives. How are we sure? You mentioned we're not there, so we don't know. Yeah. And the issue of being considered a grantee as opposed to a trust responsibility recipient, those differences. I mean, that difference in itself is huge enough, right? I think, I mean, look at our all of our health disparities. They're terrible. They're, we are, um, as uh, the NIHB um, um, CEO would say, we are at the race to the bottom and we're winning. Um, you know, we need true true investment into Indian country. And without this confer policy, it's not going to happen. I mean, thank we're going to continue to see these bad statistics. And Madam Chair, let me thank the leadership from uh, various nations that are here today and, and congratulate you on the legislation and the sponsors of that legislation. Thank you for being here. Yield back. Thank you. The chair now recognizes Ms. Gonzalez-Colon for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chair, and good morning to everybody. Good afternoon to everybody here. Um, I, I want to be brief, uh, but I want to, I'm reading some of the statements uh, some of you made, um, both Chairman Riemann and, and Mr. Libo, uh, why did your tribes choose to pursue restricted yeah, fee status fair. for these 40 acres rather than a trust status? I just don't know, so I, I would love you to, to tell me, you know, why choose one 
before the another one. Thank you. Yes, we would like to um, use the restricted fee status to to uh, give the tribes more control over the lands uh, in question, the 40 acres. And the 40 acres is, is where the area, and back in December 29, 1890, where uh, over 300 Lakota people were massacred by the United States uh, military. And that's the, the basically the, the killing field where that had all occurred. And um, so, and since that time, um, uh, the tribes, we don't want to see uh, the United States name title uh, of the land that our people died on because of them. So that's one of the reasons is, uh, is because the tribes, um, we want the name, our name on the land. While memorializing the Wounded Knee Massacre is unique uh, to the descendants of the Great Sioux na Nation, uh, do you think that the process both of your tribes uh, have used to come to an agreement on how to jointly pursue uh, this memorial could be used in other contexts and with other tribes? You know, for decades we've been uh, fighting for uh, land, you know, and, and, and it's about time uh, we, we got an opportunity uh, and the tribes came together for the betterment of, of the whole entire uh, Ochete Shakoi, uh, and we were able to secure it. And that's the main goal is we want uh, to secure this land, so it's 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 ours. I I I'm with you in that. My, my my question is, if the process you use, right, to literally uh, come to an agreement, uh, both of your tribes should be used uh, by another tribes in another context. So if that process, do you recommend that process for another tribes? Uh, yes, I do. Um, you know, we 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 did uh, we coordinated with not only uh, the tr uh, the tribes leadership, but also the de descendants of of that sacred site who were buried there. So uh, we took we took the uh, you know, the the approach with uh, very carefully, and and we were able to get that done and. Uh, I, I believe, uh, yes, we did. Thank you. Um, uh, President uh, Lehigh, can you further elaborate on specific challenges your tribe faces as a result of not having your own reservation? Uh, and how will this bill alleviate those challenges? There's a lot, of, a lot of challenges that we come across, <clears throat> especially um, like if we were to request um, some help from ADOT, you know, we have uh, on a, under the treaty reservation that we're requesting for, there's a, a big wash that we need to have a bridge built, but we, we go to ADOT and they have funding there for us that is, is almost approved, you know, but it always came back to where's, where's your treaty land, you know? 
and that's where the doors, multiple doors get shut because we have no, no treaty land. And that, that's the, the biggest challenge we have. You know. Thank you. I don't have any further questions, Madam Chair. Are you back? Thank you. The Chair now recognizes Ms. Coyle for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, uh, this, um, first of all, I, I just want to say this is um, my first bill that I'm bringing up, and I couldn't, I couldn't be more proud um, to hopefully have this become the first law that, that I've sponsored, because this is a long time coming. Um, Vice Chairman Lane, um, I want to ask you, if this bill were enacted and you were free to hunt and fish um, on your own homelands, how would this be important to you personally? What would that mean to you personally and to your tribal members? I guess the thing uh, that I'd like to clarify would be to hunt and fish legally in my own homeland. Uh, because that has gone on for many years. Um, we've been treated like criminals because of that, but um, there are a couple sacred sites to me that are sacred to me. One is, uh, in our language, it's Yuke Nongotle, which means Yuka Creek Falls. It's a, uh, a falls where you can spear and dip net fish. And the other is Sechaginfli, it means Rock Creek. But, and these places, uh, we believe God made them for us to feed the people. And uh, so we describe it as really, uh, he made the world for us. It's nanasla, and it literally means made for you. So for me personally, that would be uh, to be able to, um, to legally go in there and conduct those ancient activities that have been handed down to us generation after generation. We're the latest link in that chain of humanity that has... Uh, depended on those resources to feed our people. It's a great thing. It'll be a great moment for our people. Thank you. Um, and I really uh, genuinely hope we can move this through. We'll have a great celebration when that happens. Um, and uh, as Secretary Langley, uh, first of all, um, I, w I want to say that um, that certainly the Oregon delegation and hopefully working with the Washington delegation that we can work with all the parties involved to address whatever concerns they are so that we can bring your bill forward as well. Um, I also wanna extend my condolences for you and your tribe for the loss of um, Catherine Harris, 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 sorry, Harrison, um, a great woman and tribal leader and Oregonian. Um, May her memory be a blessing. And I know that um, removing the consent decree was really important to her. And so I just want to say that we will work really hard to make that happen. Thank you. I yield my time. Thank you. The chair now recognizes Mr. Crane for five minutes of questions. Thank you, Madam Chairwoman. I appreciate it. Um, President Lehigh, can you please uh, tell the committee what the importance of tribal self-governance is to you? Tribal self-governance. Um, we, we, 
we could we we we're not that big we're only asking for four fifty four hundred acres i mean and we have the surrounded by navajo nation you know and we we're a small government i mean we we do have our own council we do have um our leadership and we go through everything just as any other government you know i mean we're a small tribe but we we need this treaty land for to just to make us stronger in our own self-governance. Thank you. If Congress were to pass this, President Lehigh, this legislation, and you were able to finally get your own land, can you explain what this would mean to your people? Dude, this would mean a lot to our people because even during our recognition, you know, it, our, our elders who worked on this recognition in 1989 to, to have this... Um, to move forward. At the time, our, our tribal leaders could not speak English, you know. They spoke on our, our native tongues, that was of the Paiute. And they, they worked very hard to get here. And now, a lot of the, the people who worked on it at the time, you know, our elders, they passed on. And as I mentioned here in their testimony, Mabel Ahi, she's, she's one of the last elders around. And she she's, I spoke with her before I came out here, and she's very proud that it's gone this far. And she wants to see this treaty be ratified before she enters the next world. But this is, this is, this is very great for us because I, I grew up on the land. I live there to this day, and we irrigate there every year. And you know, it's, it's a part of us. It's, it, ask any Native American of where they come from in the land, they're very tied to it, you know. It's very sacred and it's just peaceful there. Thank you. Uh, President Lehigh, you said that um, the Hopi support this legislation? Yes, I, I met with Hopi leadership um, in May and they're there in support of of, of actually the, in the support of us to, there's no opposition from them, you know. And with Navajo Nation, we received their support letter and that, that's how they got this far. Uh, President Lehigh, the last time I was on your land, um, you told me that we could go horseback riding up on the plateau. Is that correct? Yes, yes I did, <laughs> yes. President Lehigh, you're not going to leave me up on that plateau, are you? <laughs> no, no. The horse will go back home. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Um, President Lehigh, I'm honored, like my colleague, uh, Miss Hoyle over here, this is the first bill that I've ever introduced, and it is an honor. I, I think it's a very, very important uh, thing to be done. I hope we can help your people push this over the finish line, not only for your people, but I would love it if your grandmother got to see this. In, in her lifetime. So thank you, brother, for coming out here. And uh, we're going to continue to work on this, okay? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving us this, for this opportunity for me and my people to be up here. And well, we greatly appreciate it. I yield back my time. Thank you. I want to thank the witnesses for your valuable testimony today and for the members for your questions and for the non-members of this committee for coming and participating in making this such a success today to get this information out. The members of the committee may have some additional questions for the witnesses and we will ask you to respond to those in writing. Under committee rule three, members of the committee must submit such questions to the committee clerk by 5 p.m. on Monday, June 12th, 2023. 
The hearing record will be held open for 10 business days for your responses. If there is no further business, and without objection, the committee stands adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Good